Amen. All right. I'm going to ask Marsha to put a verse up here. and We're going to look at Palm Sunday. And I'm going to pick up the series on the talk on the hill after Easter. But I want to deal with Palm Sunday today. This is Palm Sunday. A lot of people don't know what it's all about. Don't know what it is. Just know you're supposed to go to church on Palm Sunday. And the same thing with Easter. If you ask a lot of people who are in church, what is it about? They don't know. So I'm going to look at Palm Sunday today and what it was really about. Here's what it says. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, say it with me, everybody, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Now Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding in a Volkswagen. All right, let's go to the next part. Is that it, Marsha? All right. Father, we just thank you for your word today. Help us to understand the significance of this day. And thank you that Jesus came for us. We worship you, Lord. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Palm Sunday. And my wife is going to fix the flowers right before I preach. Now that's a woman. Who else could do that? Only she could do that. It's good to have those of you who are here on Palm Sunday. And I wanted to say that uh, I've learned a long time ago never to assume. Pull me down just a little bit, TJ. Never to assume that people understand what you do or that people have been taught the significance of something that we celebrate. So I want you to understand Palm Sunday. I'm going to take you back a little bit into my life first as a teenager. The first time I really became aware of Jesus Christ was when I heard over the radio a piece of the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. I wasn't raised in church. And so to hear his name sung on secular radio was the first introduction to the name of Jesus and the concept of Jesus I'd ever heard. And it went something like this. Hey, Santa, Hosanna, Santa, Santa. Hey, Santa, Hosanna, Santa, Santa. Hosanna, hey, Santa. And then it went, hey, hey, JC, won't you smile at me? Jesus Christ, if you're divine, turn my water into wine. Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Hey, Santa, Hosanna, Santa, Santa, Hosanna. And I heard that and I thought, I've never heard about Jesus. This was when I was about 15 years old. And it stuck that name in my mind. You know, that name has a way of sticking in your mind, no matter how you hear it. And so it stuck in my mind. And you know, frankly, though that song is pretty sacrilegious, if you hear the whole thing, it does kind of describe the mentality that surrounded the first Palm Sunday. Because it was like a circus in Jerusalem. It was like a first century Mardi Gras. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were jammed into the holy city, the holiest of holy cities, shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, body to body. 
You could barely move down those little narrow streets. And I've been there. And they are very narrow, very claustrophobic. And they were jammed with people. Now they were there for the annual Passover feast, which was a celebration that was always very crazy, very circus-like. It was a pandemonium. And the salesmen could be heard hawking their wares. Lambs for sale, lambs for sale. I got to thinking, if a Passover celebration happened in our day, they'd have the T-shirts for sale. And they would say, I survived the Passover of A.D. 33. I survived Passover, A.D. 33. Now, I want you to understand, because I heard somebody call a radio program this week, Secular Radio. And they said, why did the people turn on Jesus the way they did? Why were they praising him one minute and turning on him the next? Why did he go from a hero to a zero in one week's time? What made them turn on him so venomously? so vitriolically, so angrily that they would hang him on the worst instrument of torture and execution ever known to man. Well, you've got to understand that initially there were three kinds of people in that crowd. And I want to talk to you about these three kinds of people because it will help us to understand why that happened to him and it will also help us to understand what type we might be. All three types were people of great expectations. And I'm calling this message today, Great Expectations. Each group, each type was there with great expectations. First, there was the curious crowd. The curious crowd. The reputation of Jesus over the past three years leading up to this first Palm Sunday had spread far and wide. He was a legend in his own time, well-known because of what he had done. The miracles, walking on water, healing the sick, and all that Jesus had brought to pass, multiplying fishes and loaves to feed thousands of people. So his reputation had preceded him. But on top of that, just days before the Passover, just a few days before, Jesus had performed the greatest miracle he had ever done when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Hardly a week before this Passover, this first Palm Sunday, a man had gotten up from the dead in front of Pharisees, in front of the skeptical, out of a grave that he'd been in for four days, wrapped in grave clothes. He got up and it shook the religious world, indisputable incredible miracle. And on top of that, on his way to the Passover feast, he had opened the eyes of two blind men who had run ahead of him and shouted to the crowd that Jesus had opened up their eyes. And so when Jesus came into town, everybody was stirred about him. He was the name on every lip. He was the name everybody was talking about. Everybody wanted to know about Jesus. So here comes Jesus, the miracle worker, riding into town on the lowliest of beasts, a donkey. And the people were celebrating him, a lot of them for different reasons, as we'll see. And they took palm branches, and they, 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 palm branches served as sort of the red carpet of that day. And they threw the palm branches in front of him so that 
on the donkey. He rode over them and they hollered, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And there was the curious crowd. Now this curious crowd was like a lot of people today because what the curious crowd wanted to see, they wanted to see the miracle worker do another trick. They wanted to see the magician pull another rabbit out of the hat. They wanted to see Jesus do something incredible. They wanted Jesus to perform for them. They had great expectations. And the expectation was, if we get near him, we're going to see something incredible. We're going to see a sign. We're going to see a wonder. We're going to see a miracle. He's a miracle worker. Their sentiments were echoed by King Herod who said, quote, that he hoped to see Jesus perform some miracle. Jesus was a phenomenon. Jesus was a novelty. He was a curiosity. He was their variation of David Copperfield. They surrounded him with palm leaves, rolled out the red carpet, cried Hosanna. Hey, hey, JC, won't you smile at me? Jesus Christ, if you're divine, let me see you turn the water into wine. Prove to me that you're no fool. Jesus, let me see you walk across my swimming pool. Come on, JC. Make a deaf person hear for me. Give another blind man sight. All right. The curious crowd had great expectations. And if the Houdini of the Holy Land could pull another trick out of his bag, then they would believe. But you know... People can watch a miracle and walk away from God. And there are people like this today. They'll only believe if they see a sign. But when they see a sign and then another and then another, it still doesn't move them because God deals with the heart. He doesn't come to us through the five senses. He does not approach us through sight or sound. That is, when God touches us, he moves into our soul and spirit touches spirit. He deals with our heart. We may hear the gospel, but the spirit of God deals with our heart. If God thought that he could just appear to us and let every eye see him, we think that that would bring people to God. But every eye did see him. Every eye did see God. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He raised the dead. They saw him, but they did not turn to him. The curious were there with great expectations. But there was a second group of people in that crowd on the first Palm Sunday singing Hosanna, excited about the arrival of Jesus Christ, wanting to see him. And I want to really focus on this one because I think this crowd is very prevalent in our day. It was the angry crowd. There was an angry crowd. This second group didn't want a circus. They weren't looking for another magic trick. They were about something very, very different. They were looking for a political revolution. And they were looking for a revolutionary leader. For them, the first Palm Sunday was a huge political rally. Charged with desire for revolution. A segment of the crowd, the angry segment, wanted the Roman government overthrown in no uncertain terms. Revolution was in the air. And I can almost tell you that in our nation today, revolution 
seems to be in the air. There's never been a greater polarization of people than there is now. It's, it's white and black. It's this side or that side. There's a revolutionary feel to our own nation. There are angry people in our nation, people who are extremely, exceedingly angry about things. And I want you to understand this first Palm Sunday took place during a rising surge of hate-driven political revolution. And let me tell you why it was there. I'll tell you quickly four defining moments that brought it there. About 63 years before Jesus came on the scene, A Roman general named Pompey conquered Israel. And now the Israelites found themselves uncannily in slavery again after 300 years of freedom. They were subjected to the Roman government. They lost their freedom again. And their subjection to the Roman government was miserable to the Jews for several reasons. Let me give you a few. The Romans made them eat pork, which a Jew would never do. The Romans were forcing them to worship Caesar, which a Jew would never do. The Romans forbade circumcising their children, which the Jews would never do. The Romans were seducing them out of their religion. And the Jews hated the Romans. And a revolution against the Roman government was in the air. You could cut it with a knife. It was electric. Then at the time, moving forward a few decades, from them losing their freedom, now they're under Roman tyranny. At the time Jesus was born, King Herod, who had rebuilt the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, turned from being Herod the builder to Herod the killer when he ordered all boys two years old and under to be killed after some wise men from the east came and inquired about a messiah. And Herod released an edict. I want every child, every male child, two years old and under, to be slaughtered so that there will be no birth of any Messiah who will become a political king and overthrow me. Nobody's going to have control but me. And so the Bible describes it as Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. The Bible says there was a slaughter and you could hear women crying in the night. As the Roman government came and seized their little babies under King Herod's order and slaughtered them, weeping, filled the land. Can you imagine the hatred? Can you imagine the bitterness over this? The Jews' hatred grew. Then about 12 years later, when Jesus was only a boy, a Jewish man named Zadok led a revolution in Jerusalem, and 2,000 of his followers were killed. You had 2,000 Jewish people in a revolution to overthrow Rome, and you know what they did to them? The Romans strung them up on crosses. Now I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine I-30 from Fort Worth to Dallas, around 30 miles of highway, lined with men from a minority group, hanging dead, on crosses, gasping for air, dying in the sight of everybody for 30 miles. And you're a member of that minority group. Imagine the seething anger. Imagine the resentment. 2,000 dead men hanging on crosses for the entire world to see. 
This was the Romans' message to the Jews on what would happen to political revolutionaries. And the hatred grew. Now, on this first Passover day when Jesus rode into town, there was already and had already been 32 political riots in just five years. Think about that. Before Jesus entered into his ministry at 30 years old, 32 riots, six major riots per year for five years had gone on around him. He grew up in turbulent times, angry times, unhappy times, politically seething times. His people, the Jewish people, resenting their government, resenting the way they were oppressed, resenting it. They wanted an answer. They wanted out. They wanted a deliverer. And they had read the prophets talking about a Messiah who would be born and the government would be on his shoulders. And he would rule the world with a scepter of righteousness. And they missed the one that talked about the lamb who must be slain. The man who must take the stripes across his back that we might be healed. It was a double-pronged prophecy. It was two-part. And the Jews had understood the second part, but not the first part. So when Jesus arrived as the Lamb of God, when Jesus arrived as the servant, when Jesus arrived riding into town on a donkey, they did not understand his mission. They didn't understand who he was. And so when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the angry crowd was saying it. Why? Because they knew he had a huge following and he could do miracles. And they wanted this guy to help them overthrow Rome. According to the Bible, the town of Jerusalem was a powder keg waiting to blow up with political tension when Jesus rode into town that day. And so there were two groups on that first Palm Sunday. There were the thrill seekers. Hey, JC, do a sign for me. Great expectations. And there were hardcore political revolutionaries. Hey, JC, won't you help me take over? You can do it. If anybody can do it, you can do it. You've got the crowds, you've got the charisma, you've got the power, you've got the way with words. Come on, JC. Both groups chanted Hosanna to the son of David. I want you to notice, Hosanna to the son of David, the king of Israel has come, here's our guy. But both groups had their expectations dashed. By afternoon, another chant had begun, almost in a whisper. Crucify him. And over the next week, it grew. It grew in volume. It grew in vitriol. It grew in anger. It flowed from disappointment. It flowed from failed expectations. It flowed out of a sense of having been let down by him. Till finally they were saying, crucify him, crucify that phony. He's an imposter. He's a fake One commentator said they wanted a warrior on a war horse and then instead they got a carpenter on a donkey. And so they killed him and put a sarcastic sign over his head. King of the Jews, what a joke. But then there was a third group there that day. 
And they weren't looking for a circus and they weren't looking for revolution. You know who they were? They were the genuine seekers. The Bible says that a handful of Gentiles, oh, this verse, I got to tell you, it crawled all over me when I read it this week in a brand new way. The Bible says that a handful of Gentiles who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to one of Jesus' followers, Philip, and here's what they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. We want to meet Jesus. Now, I want to just suggest to you that that separates the thrill seeker and the revolutionary from the genuine seeker. The thrill seeker, give me a sign. The revolutionary, help me overthrow government. But the genuine seeker said, I don't want what he can do. I want who he is. I, I want to know him. I want to meet Jesus. I said, I want to meet Jesus. Their, their desire was not, I want to see him perform, not, I've got a political agenda and I want his help. They just said, we want to meet Jesus. They didn't want him for what he could do. They didn't want his. They wanted him. They weren't looking for Santa Claus. They were looking for a savior. They weren't looking for a show. They were looking for a man. They weren't looking for a magician. They were looking for a messiah. Somehow these men had caught a glimpse of the real Jesus and how he reflected God. There was something about Jesus, the man, Jesus, the person, Jesus that drew them. You see, the Bible says there's no beauty that we would desire him. The Bible says he wasn't a looker. He wasn't a looker. He was not strikingly handsome. He merged with the crowd in terms of looking like a normal Jewish man. But I believe when Jesus spoke and when he looked at you, he took you in. You were captivated by the beauty of an unstained, untainted character that had never known sin. He was a reflection of God. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want a mirror of what God looks like, I'm the mirror. I'm reflecting his love. I'm showing you his grace. I'm manifesting his patience. I'm showing you his compassion. If you want to know what God is like, watch me. Watch me as I love people. Watch me when I heal the sick. Watch me when I walk on water and defy the natural laws of physics. Watch me. Watch me. See, those who, there was a, a segment in this crowd that wanted to meet him, wanted to know him, wanted to enter into relationship with him. And I want to suggest to you today that one of the reasons people walk away from God is because they expect things from him having misunderstood his mission or having misunderstood his intent and his intention for their life. And so we have failed expectations and we grow uh, disappointed in God and we walk away. But listen, he did not come to perform tricks for us. He came to save our souls. He came to lift us from the mud and the muck of sin and death. He came to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He came to take us out of hell and into heaven. That's why he came. I believe to be around him, to really hear him, really catch a glimpse of who he was, 
He was irresistible. Jesus was irresistibly charismatic in the best sense of the word. They spotted the love that shined from him, these men. The truth that flowed from him. The grace that rested on him. The acceptance that looked out from him. He could look at a woman cast in front of him, caught in the very act of adultery, and there was no condemnation in the eyes of Jesus Christ. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Be healed. Acceptance. It doesn't matter if you're black and white, yellow, red, rich or poor, smart or not so sharp. God loves you. And it's manifested in Christ. It was these qualities that made them say, sir, we just want to meet him. We just want to meet Jesus. If you meet Jesus, you're never going to be the same. You meet Jesus, there's no escaping the memory. You meet Jesus, you're not ever going to get over it. You get just a little bit sunburned, it's going to show. Kathy and I went and sat in the sun yesterday. I got a little bit of sun on my face. And I said, you know, that reminds me of God. You can't get close to Jesus without getting sunburned. You're going to get sunburned. It's going to show that you've been with him. It's going to show that you've been around. It says in the book of Acts, when they were persecuting the disciples, it says they took note that they'd been with Jesus. Because if you've been with Jesus, it shows you're going to be sunburned. And you'll start seeing the world through sunglasses. Jesus said of himself, my kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. If it did, my followers would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. He told Pilate this. But I'm not that kind of king. Not this world's kind of king. Though he was being called a king, he wasn't a normal king. For instance, what king do you know that gets on their knees and washes their subjects' feet? He was a shoeshine king. What kind of king is that? Any king I read about wants the subjects shining his shoes. He had not grown up in pomp and splendor, but in a carpenter's shop building tables, chairs, and benches. He was a blue-collar king, working class kind of guy. Most kings want to be waited on, but King Jesus said that he hadn't come to be served, but to serve others. What kind of king is that? Most kings want to be addressed with flowing adjectives like your highness, great one, or so-and-so the magnificent, or oh, great prince, but not Jesus. The prophet said of him, You will call his name Jesus. You will be on a first name basis with this king. So he was a first name basis king, touchable, approachable. You didn't feel like he was too good for you to get around. The common people heard him gladly. He spoke like no man ever spoke. Most kings have a throne bedecked with jewels, gold and silver. And rule their kingdoms from that throne. But not King Jesus. The cross was his throne. I said the cross was his throne. The cross was the throne of Christ. There he bled. There he died. 
Your sins, my sins rested on him on that cross. No matter what you've done, what you've said, where you've gone, how bad it was, the Son of God on that cross, arms stretched out, legs nailed to it through the feet, he took your sin on him. God said you did it. He was blamed for what we did. He took our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. He took the rap for us. He died for you and me so that we would not have to die a forever death. The cross was his throne, and from that cross, he rules the hearts and the minds of men. Jesus doesn't rule kingdoms or nations like an earthly king. His domain is far nobler. His domain is much loftier. Jesus rules the hearts of people. He's the king of hearts. He's the Lord of love. He's the potentate of peace. He's the ruler of men's affections, the passion of our desires, the lover of our souls, the answer to our dreams. That's Jesus. Jesus knew the day you'd be born. He knew exactly what you would be named. He got your DNA. He weaved it into your system. He made you genetically. He ordered your looks, your hair. Don't say, look up and say, well, thanks a lot. (laughs) He made you unique. There's not another you. He made you unique because you are supposed to carry on you the glory and power of God in a unique way that nobody can do in your place. You are a unique creation. I want to tell you, listen, you know, I, I, I thought again this week about the idiocy of evolution. I want you to know you are custom designed. Evolution says our distant ancestors crawled out of some primordial sea, some ancient soup, and we grew legs and we grew arms and we began to walk. That means that all I am is an animal. No, you are a living, breathing soul. God created you unique. There's not another one like you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them there's not another one like you. Now you spouses turn to the other side and say, thank God. (laughs) The great expectations of those who wanted to meet him were fulfilled. The revolutionaries were disappointed. The curious were disappointed. Their hopes were dashed but not those who wanted to meet him. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door by an act of the will, I will come into him and I will fellowship with him and he with me. You can meet him. This is not a religion. It's a relationship and it's a life. I'm so glad that one day after hearing that song, Jesus Christ Superstar, I heard again about Jesus. And he came into my life and he changed me. 
I stand before you a product of grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. And anything I'm not yet, grace hadn't done it yet. But I am what I am by his grace. And I want to know what crowd are you in? The curious? Next Sunday, there'll be a bunch of those. Curious. Well, I haven't been in church in a year. Let's go see. Curious to see somebody's new Easter dress. Curious to put on the bonnet and come to church. Curious to go grab an Easter egg. Easter bunny hopping across the lawn. Isn't it funny how the culture always takes attention off the real reason for it? But there's a group who have said, I just want to meet Jesus. I just want to meet Jesus. I just want to come to know him. And so within one week's time, the revolutionary, angry, and the curious turned. And next week, we're going to see how they killed him. But we're also going to see that he rose from the dead. Amen. Can we stand together, everybody? Can I encourage you just to look up and say, Lord, I don't want to have an agenda with you that if you don't do it, I'm not going to follow you. What I want to try out, I want to try out saying whatever you want to do in my life, do it. And I'll obey you. And see what God doesn't do. See what God doesn't do. Father, I thank you that you wrapped yourself in skin in the person of Christ. And you dwelt among us. And on that Palm Sunday, you knew that a big slice of that crowd was looking to you for the wrong reason. And that you would not cater to it. And because of that, they would kill you. Lord, I thank you for those who gathered around that cross and were there at that tomb and who one day also gave you their life because they wanted to meet you. They wanted to walk with you. I don't know where you are in your walk today, but if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've been disappointed in God at times. He hadn't always done what I wished he would. But I'm not going to let it drive me away from God. He has a plan for me that is perfect. And I would like to commit my life to him in a fresh way on this Palm Sunday. What a a memory to be able to always say it was on Palm Sunday, 08, that I turned my life over to him and let him do whatever he wanted. And he blessed me. If you can say that today, I want to walk with him in a fresh way. Or maybe for the very first time, I don't want to be in the angry crowd. I don't want to be in the curious, thrill-seeking crowd. I want to be in that group that says, I just want to meet him. If you can say that today, would you raise your hand right where you are? Don't worry about anybody around you. 
many, many people, many. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to forget about the person next to you. I want you to think only of God, like that young person said. It was just me and God at that conference. I want you to slip out from where you are, and I want you to walk down to this altar. And God is going to meet you here. I guarantee you, the minute you begin to walk, you are activating faith toward God. And he's going to touch you before you even get down here. So if you raise your hand, I want you to come. Come now as we begin to worship and sing. Thank you, Lord. Come quickly. Tell your feet to begin to move. Just tell your feet to begin to move. You're